I remember crawling on my hands and knees in a dirt basement that was not tall enough to stand up in. It was barely tall enough to crawl in. But we had to run dozens of ethernet cables underneath this house through this dirt basement with no lights, just like like army crawl with ethernet and a flashlight in your teeth trying to run this ethernet cable. Whenever I talk about ThoughtBot, how I describe what we did at the beginning was anything that someone would pay us to do that had to do with computers. Literally anything. Welcome to a very special episode of Giant Robots Smashing into Other Giant Robots, a weekly podcast normally discussing the business, design, and development of great software. And this week in particular, the story of how ThoughtBot was formed. Hey, I'm Chad Pytel. Hi, I'm John Urich. And we're the co-founders of ThoughtBot. Today, we're uh, taking a special look at the early history of ThoughtBot. Many people don't realize that there are five original founders, and uh, John's with me here today. Hello. And we're going to take a look at the early days of ThoughtBot. Hi, I'm Willie Conrad. I'm Matt Tucker. My name is Calvin Swaim. I'm Matt Jankowski. And I am a founder of ThoughtBot. And I'm not one of the original founders of ThoughtBot. We all went to WPI together, right, John? Yeah. And we were all computer science majors except Willie, but I think maybe you and I knew each other best earliest through computer science. Yeah, that's right. Actually, that's not true because most of the rest of the guys uh, I were on my floor. So this is a common trend because no one really remembers the first time meeting anybody. When we first met, like ever? Yeah, when you and I first met. Oh, that's a good question. Uh, we probably had like a early CS class together. I probably knew who you were through um, Guerrilla Improv, which was the improv comedy troupe at WPI. It was like sort of you and Tucker were kind of a, a connection because Tucker was in the Guerrilla Improv. Jankowski was my freshman year roommate. Did you know him at WPI? No. No. <laughs> I think we... We're in the same groups of people, but probably not aware of each other, if only because we both knew Tucker. So I remember times where, like, there was a party at their apartment or something, and, like, you and Rachel stopped by. Right. Or I didn't go to that many of uh, the uh, Linux user group or Linux club meetings. Uh-huh. But the Linux was... users group. Yeah. Lug. Lug. We went to a really nerd school. The extracurricular activities, the improv, the sketch, the theater... That was the social outlet for how we all knew each other. Yeah, pretty much. The sort of social outlets uh, on campus weren't super wide or varying. And I just remember at the time, the acapella shows and uh, Grill Improv used to always open up for those. Grill Improv! Those were probably like the coolest thing that was happening on campus that was like a sort of school-related thing. So the thing that drove me to eventually audition was I saw you guys doing it and I was like, I, I think I can do that too. That looks like a whole hell of a lot of fun. <laughs> can I ride my bike to school today so everybody can see my new helmet? Okay. Yes? Yes. Okay. Just Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> so then we graduate. And we did Disc, the movie. This could be the first, like, big cohesive thing that we worked on. Yes, that was a big bonding thing right there. I think Disc was very intense. It was like intensity times 10. 
That was great. I mean, it was hard. It was a lot of work, but it, it was an accomplishment. We just had this this big thing that we wanted to do, and we did it. You know, we kind of put our minds to it, and we, we banged out a script, and, you know, you, you did the producing, and we got locations, and we hired actors, and, you know, shot, what was it, like, shot it over a six-week period, and then worked on editing it for two years. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, it was a long process, and it was very, it was very hard at times, but, like, absolutely something I look back on with just complete joy. Yeah, it really is uh, pretty miraculous how that came together, I think. I mean, on basically nothing. You know, in like a feature-length movie, I still ha I still haven't let my wife watch it. Really? <laughs> I feel a little self-conscious. I told her she can watch it, but I don't know if I can watch it with her. A couple years ago, it got put on here at a movie night. Oh no! Yeah. How did people react? Uh they were kind. <laughs> Overall, yeah, I, I view it as like a very, I don't want to like formative is a little bit too strong of a word, but just that kind of idea of like it was the first time that we worked on something really big where I was like this is this is kind of something that I enjoy doing and could see myself doing more of well the reality of the post-college world let's see what was that 2002 my recollection of the time wasn't that it was like the worst job market ever but the tail end of the start of the dot-com bubble burst it was still in its throes by the time we graduated. So my, my recollection at the time, I interviewed at a lot of places, but it was just, there was so much competition for jobs, not, and, and there weren't a ton of jobs out there. The only experience I had programming was through school. And I think a, a lot of what companies were looking for were people who had already done some level of, just beyond their, their sort of coursework. And I wasn't interviewing often. There weren't a lot of jobs, and the ones that there were, it was like they were seeing 40 people in over a three-day period, you know? When we went into school in 98, that was like the height of the dot-com bubble. And so while we were in school, we had the dot-com crash and then the September 11th attacks. And like the Dow Jones Industrial Average had its single biggest point loss ever or something like that. So it was hard for us to find jobs, which is the story I like to tell myself about why I ended up in ABA. <laughs> I like that story too. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. It's part of the myth of, of my life. Things weren't amazing, but it was like any other time you knew, it, was, it was who you knew. And fortunately, I knew Chad. And Chad had gotten a job. <laughs> fortunately. <laughs> well, fortunately for this, anyway. <laughs> at a quote-unquote medical billing startup. And that... Amazing story kicked off when you get to hire all of the rest of us. I remember getting a call from you being like, hey, I might have an opportunity for you. It's a small startup. Here's the deal. I think it was, uh, I want to say it was $250 a week. Would it be that low? Yeah. I think it was $250 a week. But I, I remember at the time just being like, okay, that's not great, but it's a job, you know? I think and it was 500. 500? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's my memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 250 seems, I mean, I wouldn't put it by Don Brown to pay us 250 a week, but yeah, I remember it being like, not the an ideal situation because we came in not as programmers, uh, but I was happy to have work and it was nice that uh, it was with people I knew and that, you know, we kind of had a group of friends there. 
which uh, that always makes work, you know, enjoyable. My basic thought was like, yay, job. And then it was like, also people I know work there. Yay. And it's software and like that's engineering. So I was like, okay, you know, it, it definitely sounded cool. And I was like, definitely interested in it. And it was like, cool, we're going to write all this automated software that like sues people automatically. Is <laughs> 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 usually how I describe it to people is basically what we were writing there. We had to learn certain like specifics about billing law and, and how your insurance bills. And when it gets to a certain point, you have to bill to another insurance. And so we were talking with claims adjusters basically saying, hey, you cut off so-and-so's physical therapy and you didn't pay for all their treatment, hey, let's make a deal. We, we say you owe 5,000, you say you're not gonna pay anything, so how about we do 2,500? So for the most part, we were account managers. I don't even remember specifically like writing a lot of software there. When you first started, I remember that you and Calvin were processing insurance claims. Oh, right. That's probably why I don't paper. remember writing a lot of software. And ostensibly, I think the reasoning there was, well, we're going to write software to do this. So if you do it manually, then you'll learn what the software is supposed right. to be. And I think after doing it manually, my conclusion was that this is not a job for software. <laughs> <laughs> what, what was the environment like at ABA? It had some absolute madness. You know, because the guy running the place was kind of a crazy person, you know, absolute delusions of grandeur. And just he knew how to talk to people and bring them to his way of thinking. I think there was a lot that was happening at the business that was kind of very reactionary. And we were just kind of pulled along in the stream of things. Right. So like my regular schedule of working was like coming in at 630 in the morning and leaving at 10 or 11 at night. Yeah, because you can't leave before 630 because then you're just working a half day. Right. Which is actually what, what he called them. Oh, you're only working a half day. He's like, I got here at 8. It's 8 o'clock now. Yeah, I guess I may, I'm only working a half day. A, a full day would be 24 hours. Yep. So a half day is 12 yeah, hours. 12 hours. You remember the meeting when, when Don Brown wrote the amount of money in the world on the whiteboard, circled it and said, how much of this do you want? How much of this do you want? As if, you know, asking and he could make it happen for us. I think that was the day when we all decided <laughs> this man has gone around the bend. Do you remember what it, how much it was that he wrote on the board? It, it had a lot of zeros. Right? <laughs> yeah. I think, oh, I think it was like $30 trillion or something like that. Like, because that was a habit of his, like writing giant numbers on the board and insinuating that like this was ours to grab. Right. It wasn't the first time he had wrote big numbers on the board, but it was the first time he said it was all the money in the world. Yeah. I recall saying, that is the biggest number you've ever written on the board. <laughs> Did we answer uh, how much of it we wanted? I don't, I don't think. I think we uh, adjourned to the ping pong room. I remember a strong sense of well, we were hired to develop software, and that's what we're capable of doing. Why aren't we doing that? You know, I, that, that, I remember that being kind of at first it was sort of like, oh, yeah, we're learning the business. But it was very quick that it was like, oh, oh wait, no, I think this is what we do now. And we'll be lucky if we get to develop anything. I also remember there was a distinct point we hit where it was like, this is going nowhere we're not going to jump ship tomorrow, but it's it's only a, a matter of time until, yeah. you know, this either falls apart around us or we choose to 
to step away. Right. And then we stopped getting paid. And yeah. so it was really only a matter of time. Yep. Don Brown, if you're listening to this, you still owe me $3,500. <laughs> it wasn't just that we were being taken advantage of. It was that the founder of that company had an actual personality disorder. Which we found out officially later. Right. And so it caused him to, when someone like an investor or someone would say, well, this is an interesting thing. I'll think about it. He would hear that it was already done, yeah. that it was a thing that existed, that it was bigger than we ever imagined. Science sealed delivered. Right. So it was like, it was a mixed bag. Like it was definitely a place where on honest reflection, you would have that moment of like, oh, I, I probably shouldn't be here. But at the same time, like I, I was enjoying the process of just experiencing ABA. A lesson maybe we learned was it's really easy to suck people into whatever environment that you have. I remember one time we were all sitting around just like in a meeting and like we were all like yelling at each other. And at some point, someone, I don't even remember who it was, sat back and was like, Don's not in the room. And we're all yelling at each other about nothing. Like we don't need to do this. You know, I think that it's easy to get sucked into really any kind of environment starts to seem normal. And I think that, that a lot of the startups take advantage of that. A lot of companies take advantage of that. Or even just being in a toxic environment, you start to lose track of what is normal behavior. Your baseline shifts and then what, what seems completely outrageous one day becomes the thing that you just put up with and then, then it's normal the next day. Did you learn any lessons in that experience? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think... One of the things that maybe we didn't consciously recognize at the time, but that must have stuck with us was, well, look at this guy and he's running a business. We could do it too. You know what I mean? Like, I think that there was, there was definitely a strong sense of we can do this because even though we never got to the point where we were, you know, a fully functioning IT department and, and really developing software, there was that sense of, of ownership and that whatever happens is going to be on us no matter what. Looking back, and this was part of what triggered us all, I think, to decide to do ThoughtBot was we couldn't have done what we were doing at normal jobs. Like we were so much in charge of what we were doing and being a founding member of a tech team, even at a company that was terrible, was better than being like, I wouldn't have gotten another job as manager of information systems or whatever my title was. Certainly not right out of college. Right. And so that sort of we can do anything kind of attitude that I think inspired us to be like, well, we could probably do ThoughtBot and it'll work. I feel like was at least in part instilled by the situation at ABA or at yeah. least the combination of that plus how burnt out we were. I think that we had decided while at ABA that we were going to leave and, and start a company together. And at some point, we, I think around that $30 trillion day, decided to cut our losses and, and move on. Just the getting up and walking out, all of us together, was, uh, <laughs> it was a good feeling because you see this guy who has been just being like a complete jackass, flailing wildly trying to use whatever rhetorical tricks he's come up with over the over however long he's been doing this to anyone else. And he's trying to use them on you, and you're just like, no, nope, I'm leaving. 
to me, it was like a very sudden switch. I think I remember talking about it at, oh, I have a memory of being, I want to say at the ground round and we were coming up with the name ThoughtBot. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think Thought Faucet was one of the, one of the proposals. I remember that, <laughs> yeah. that memory just came into my head. Wow. Yeah. I probably never would have remembered that ever if I didn't come in here and just start talking about it. And we're talking about how we could consult because consulting, we don't need a whole lot of cash outlay and we could get started right away. And, and it was all of us plus Ray. And we just talked about what it would take, what we actually had in front of us as far as assets, as far as skills, as far as potential clients. And I recall there it, it being part of the conversation was, we're going to do this. It's going to be hard. Are, are you in? I think we even filled out partnership paperwork and went over to have it notarized at a notary that was right there by the ground round. And I always was wondering, why were we going to a notary in Cleveland Circle? Like, are they known to have the best notary? But now you say it, that would make sense if we were over there at the ground round right. already. It was also right near where I lived at the time, next to Pino, oh. Pino's, remember? Oh, I remember Pino's. Yeah. <laughs> Still dreaming about Pino's pizza. I remember my feeling at that time was like, this is absolutely the correct thing to do because I started this thing at ABA thinking like, this is going to be a great software experience for me and it's a great way to get my foot in the door at, you know, as a start of a career. And it just didn't, you know, it didn't pan out that way. And then this was like, yes, the, this is the real deal. Not exactly understanding how we were going to like get work, but um, we already had, a, I think we already had like a couple leads at that time. So I, I felt like very encouraged and, and hopeful at that time. And it was, it was like extremely exciting. It was, it was definitely cool. For you know, 22, 23 year olds to have the idea, like, yeah, we're gonna go, we're gonna go, go do this thing. I think that's a that takes a big leap, and I think we didn't have anything to lose by at least trying. I mean, we were barely getting by, and and the job was was terrible, and it was kind of falling apart. And we we easily could have all gone our separate ways and just gotten gotten jobs, but we just had that moment where it was like. There's no reason for us not to try this because if we fail, then we're in the same exact situation that we were in before. So Thoughtbot was formed. We were willing to live a little lean. A, li a little? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think at the time we were like, yeah, man, we're getting paid. And those times were pretty lean as well. We were working from whatever spaces we had available. I remember sketching out like a database structure on a whiteboard in my mother's basement. And then like I was working from my apartment on most days. Right. With our early clientele, we were taking on whatever had anything to do with computers. Yeah, we, Optima, we did like handset software for like Nexus phones for scanning barcodes. And then like the online shipping portal for their customers. And we did desktop software for their warehouse for uh, scanning packages as they went through the warehouse system. We were doing tech support and we sort of had the idea maybe have like a monthly fee per computer. Commonwealth carrier. I remember like going and trying to debug their like key entry system. I was like, I don't know what I'm doing trying to, I don't know, figuring out like Windows registry entries for people's computers. TMI executive resources. I think we sold them on a redesign. Uh, they were thinking about the redesign. Clean of the dirt. The environmental cleanup startup <laughs> yeah. Yeah. in, in right. Worcester. Give beauty. Oh, that was a big one. It was supposed to be card scanning. And then when we realized that we weren't going to be able to build a card scanning network, okay, what's the next best thing? And we built an automated telephone system that people could call into. 
Yep. This is before AWS, before Heroku. So you give someone the card and then they hand it to the person at the register and they would have to flip it over and call a number and, and do the transaction through our asterisk custom server, which was literally like running in a closet. I remember very distinctly this. They said it didn't seem enough like an application. And I think you put just like a Windows Media Player skin around it. <laughs> yeah. And I think they liked it. Yeah. I think they're like, yeah, like that pretty much did the trick. <laughs> So it's kind I of funny. literally <laughs> took, I made a screenshot of Windows Media Player, then went into Photoshop and like took the Windows Chrome and removed right. some of the elements <laughs> from it and everything, and then sliced that into HTML and wrapped, wrapped it. <laughs> I had forgotten that. Yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. <laughs> but right, yeah, I think it was. At some point, you gotta you gotta put yourself in a bucket. <laughs> you know what I mean? And just be like, we can't just do whatever. So I don't have a memory of ever considering anything else besides doing design and development for other people, like consulting mm -hmm. or tech support or that kind of thing. Right. I find it odd that we didn't think of like, well, do we have an idea that we can work on as right. our own business? No, it was always service-based. But you know, the time and the place for development that when we were entering that, I, I don't know that that would have made sense. You know what I mean? Like I would say probably like the past 10 years or so, the, just the, the tools and, you know, libraries and things that you can build. I mean, when we started, they, there weren't apps on smartphones. I mean, there were, but they were all proprietary and based on, you know, BlackBerry had their apps and whatever. I don't even think that we probably would have thought that's something that we could even do. You know what I mean? I don't know, my sense would be just like, I think of who was building products at that time. And it just makes me think of like the Microsofts and the IBMs, even though there were probably a lot of small companies, but I just, I don't think that we looked at ourselves as having that skill set in the environment that we were starting that business. Yeah, I mean, this was pre-Facebook even. So we didn't even have an example of like those kinds of examples. Right. So it was what was in front of us was hey, I think we could get a couple clients because I've had mm -hmm. these conversations. I made the phone calls. There's these couple of opportunities out there. Right, right. Do you recall you and I in some sort of creepy doctor's office and we were just running miles and miles of Ethernet cable? And that was like some serious, like get your hands dirty, literally. Yeah. Work. And my take on that is we were not qualified to be doing that work. That was really in the category of we just did anything that people would pay us to do with that had to do with computers. And that's exactly how whenever I talk about ThoughtBot, how I describe what we did at the beginning was anything that someone would pay us to do that had to do with computers, literally anything. I don't think I went under the building. You know, I don't think you did either. <laughs> now that I think about it, I don't know how we delegated the work of that one, but. I mean, none of us had any experience in any of the roles prior to that. Being the manager of information systems at ABA, Chad would have had the most experience there. <laughs> but like, we never really had a discussion about what roles would be. And I think that ultimately it worked out fine 
But I think something we could have done better was talking about that in the beginning. Oh, yeah, definitely. I want to say it could have scared us away, realizing how much there was to be done. That level of ignorance of like, yeah, we can do this. There's something to be said for that, yeah. but I don't recommend it to everyone. Right. I think we accomplished more because we didn't know what wasn't possible. In probably the first six months of business, one of my responsibilities was developing the business plan and setting up our financial uh, accounting system and researching just general business things that we needed to know at the time. There was a specific reason why you volunteered or were tasked with doing the business plan, right? Yeah, my father actually has a master's in accounting and uh, real estate development. And so he had a background and he was a, a resource that I had access to. And I think that was unique amongst our group. Yeah, so that, that kind of fell to me. And it was good. I, I actually, I was glad to be working on it because it, it really gave me a sense of like, I don't want to say ownership in the business, but it was like, even if I'm not working on a project, I am working to forward this company. You felt like you were contributing, but did you enjoy doing that finance stuff? Uh, no, but it needed to get done, you know? Yeah. I think you can understand this too, because you were kind of the de facto salesman and uh, kind of client-facing member. When you have a responsibility kind of above and beyond what, what others might be doing, I mean, it, it, really, it really draws you in. It was about this time that we got our first official office. It was one room above a nonprofit called Brain Trust, and we swapped web development time for rent. And I remember it was such a big deal because at that point, that was also when we got computers right around that time, <laughs> That's right? right? Yeah, before then I was using God knows what mm -hmm. at my house that I probably cobbled together. I think we leased the computers. Do you remember this? Yes, I do vaguely remember them being leased. Do right. you remember that it had your name on it? Wait, my name was on the lease? Yeah. I have no memory of that yeah. at all, <laughs> which, which sounds about right. I'm sure I was just like, computers, yeah, let me sign it. I, I definitely do remember knowing like more about the financial details of getting those computers than I otherwise would. So it mm -hmm. does kind of make sense that maybe maybe I would. It's also shocking to me that my credit would have been any good at that time because I was in so much credit card debt at that time in my life. I think we like all were in a yeah, lot of right, debt. Right, right. We hadn't been paid in two months or so. We right. didn't have savings. I don't think any of us really did. Possibly I may have had the least debt because I was living at home still. <laughs> 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 that is a possibility. But yeah, that was a tiny little uh, space there. That it was, was very, smaller was than this intimate. room that we're recording in right now. Definitely, yeah. It, it didn't matter to me that it was like tiny. I'm I'm thinking mm -hmm. of that like now. Mm -hmm. But uh, at the time, it's just like, holy crap, this is like an office that we rented. And like we got <laughs> that I, I apparently leased all these computers. <laughs> and, you know, we're like doing this thing and like this thing is happening. So I remember being like pretty hopeful at the time. And I was like pretty excited. I remember like feeling like I was like waiting to tell people about what I was doing like oh yeah well you know it's no big deal I just kind of like started my own thing you know with a couple of friends and whatever yeah you know it's pretty cool so we moved uh from there to 545 Cambridge Street yes and I don't quite remember why like I, I knew th like things weren't great with the brain trust relationship it was a really small office so we started looking around for something different yeah and I found the office on Craigslist. And it was an incredible deal, actually. The office was huge, and it yeah. was like $1,500 a month or something wow. like that. You couldn't uh, even again, this hope was in to rent an apartment. You, yeah, you couldn't even hope to rent an apartment for that much. Right. Right. Yeah, right. Wow. 
and while we were figuring out locations and computers and jobs, we were also evolving in the tech we wanted to use. You and I and Calvin had worked with EJB as part of our major qualifying project at WPI. And right. it was about component-based infrastructure. I don't even know what it was. Some buzzword back then, right? Yeah. And we were just like, wow, this EJB stuff is it's so amazing. awesome. We're going to build company on it. And to be fair, I mean, that was sort of the hot tech out there at the time. But the overhead in building in those environments was was yeah. insane. Oh, that was also a very valuable learning experience where I learned like, wow, all of these internet protocols that have been built up over like the 70s and 80s and 90s are a mess. And there are <laughs> so many different things out there. And then to go from there to Rails was just like a breath of fresh air. No containers, no JBoss server to worry about, no compiling, obviously, no jars, wars, ears, all that nonsense. There's so many ways to hang yourself with J2EE and so much overhead that it really made building applications, especially a small team, like, pretty difficult. I remember like speaking of EJB, like I was just like struggling to learn that stuff. I think I like, I, I do remember at my house, this was probably before we had an office, mm -hmm. I like went and, and I was like looking up tutorials online and I was just going through it and I was just like, why, why am I doing this? I should just look at the code that you guys already had. And then I remember like the next time we talked about it, you were like, why didn't you just look at the code we already had? <laughs> I was like, ah, what am I doing? A buddy of mine worked at a architect firm out in Worcester and I had built a rough PHP application for them. And then during ThoughtBot, they came back and they wanted some updates. So I said, well, rather than wade back into this PHP code, I want to try out Rails. I have a memory of doing that Perl thing where I was massaging the code to make it more like Rails and then just being like, this is ridiculous. And like getting up and going into your room and saying, can we just use Rails? Like, is that a crazy thing? Do you remember how you responded? Probably something along the lines of, yes, that's crazy, but let's do it. Yeah, that's pretty much what I remember. We really had nothing to lose. Right. Ruby was something that was starting to happen a lot, even I feel like by the time I was about to go. Because I do remember the sentiment being like when we were all there, like just, this is clunky, like about EJB yeah. and um, JBoss and stuff like that. I, I just remember the sentiment for all of us being like, this feels really clunky. We even met future teammates through the community around the language. And that's like when the like build a blog, text me video, I think stemmed from some of that. You'll remember Matt from our intro. I'm Matt Jankowski, and I'm not one of the original founders of ThoughtBot. He was really into Rails pretty early in its existence. I feel like I have memories of using Rails like 0.11, 12, 13, something like that, and is almost definitely what they were using to be building Basecamp at the time. And I had been doing PHP work prior to that, but just like saw that and was like, oh, this is like way better. I'm like reinventing all this stuff on every project I do. I should find a way to do this or to use this. Mm -hmm. You were contracting with us to do yeah. hosting and we were paying you for hosting and maintaining the servers for PHP stuff at first. But then we started to do some rail stuff. Yeah. I mean, this was really early on. So we were doing like fast CGI yep. and you were figuring out how to host rails. <laughs> yeah. That kind of stuff was probably where we started to work more closely together on things because there was something to actually do there. Right. So it was either PHP, Perl, like whatever mm -hmm. sites you guys had built, but the entirety of the handoff was like, 
here's a directory you can upload your stuff to. Right. The server's running. Right. I'll keep Apache going. Like it was kind of as simple as that. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that, that whatever those first Rails projects were would have been more collaborative. And Rails, this technology just felt right. We talked with Mike McKenna, CEO of Shotgun Flat, on working with us as early client at the time. My my first impression was like that you guys were, were brilliant. It was my first like exposure to, to guys that really knew software development. I can remember some of those early days hanging out and just being like completely overwhelmed with what you guys knew and the way you could problem solve. And so I remember kind of going there and being just impressed with you're also young and like so committed already. That was always really impressive. That's very nice of you to say. (laughs) (laughs) What was something that you thought we needed to improve or that we didn't have right? One of my pieces of advice was the work environment needed to be like a little less uh, like dorm room feeling. You know, I remember like early on there were like land cables everywhere, like flying around. There was like supplies everywhere and it was kind of dark. And I think once everybody settled in and like did their work, it was great. But the experience of like coming in and out of the office and working with other people in that space was... um a far cry from, you know, obviously where you are now. Um, mm-hmm. And I remember saying to you, you should probably like get some furniture and some plants or something in here. Maybe like a couple windows would help. And uh, he said, yeah, yeah, we're looking, we're looking for new space now. And then we chatted for a few more minutes. And um, I must have said like, I'm eating dinner and watching a Red Sox game because the comment back to me, you had I'm paraphrasing, but it was basically, I had said something along the lines of how fast you worked um, and how, how quickly, you, you know, you completed projects. And you said, well, that's because we don't eat dinner or watch Red Sox games. <laughs> <laughs> and so I think um, early on there, I just, I had a sense of really understanding how intentional and committed you guys were to, to mm. being successful. And I'm proud of you for it. You know, I, I look at where you guys have come from way back when, and it's like from a guy who saw it there in the beginning, it's awesome to see. It really is. However, what to the outside looked like dedication was in fact an unsustainable workload. And that, coupled with inconsistency in projects and lack of concrete roadmap, led to ThoughtBot actually disbanding. We were about a year and a half in, and it was a grind. I don't know, I think it was very hard in those early days. And I think if you're not absolutely committed, you know, going through something hard like that, it just wears on you if it's not right for you. So I just remember not being happy, sort of having the inkling of like, okay, well, maybe this isn't the right place for me. Maybe maybe I don't want to do this forever. And I think there was a lot of time of like trying to figure that out because as much as I also felt connected to the business, I felt connected to everybody else that I was working with. So really taking the time to think about that, like not letting it be like, oh, I had a bad week, so I want to quit, but just more of like, well, let me live in this feeling for three months. And if at the end of three months, I still feel like it's it's just not right, then I'll do something about it. First of all, I, I was feeling a little bit behind in like the software thing, right? Then on top of that, there was like the business end of it, right? So throughout the course of that two years, it was like, oh, you have to pay like estimated taxes. And I was like, oh, that's a thing. So I think that first year of taxes, I had to do like a payment plan. 
And then, uh, you know, we just weren't making a lot of money. And so that pressure was kind of pushing down on me. And that was, I think, I, you, me you mentioned getting emotional. Maybe there was multiple times. I'm an emotional person. You know what I mean? uh, <laughs> but that was the part I remember getting emotional. A lot of that was like feeling like I'm not sure if I have the right like entrepreneurial spirit to, to do this. When I came to the decision, the big thing was well, now I need to sit down with the guys and just have a conversation. You know, like that's gonna be a difficult conversation, but that's that's the important thing to do. And then we'll figure out how to, you know, how I'll extricate from this and then I'll figure out what my next step will be. I feel like I tacked on to somebody else saying that they were leaving. <laughs> like Calvin was like, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna pursue something else. And I kind of was like, me too. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I walked in to wherever I was working. I was like, hey guys, do you mind if we have a quick meeting? I had a couple things I need to chat about. I don't know if this is actually what happened, but my sense is, and I, I know this for sure, I sat at one end of the table and you, you sat at the exact opposite end of the table. Like we were like as far away from each other at the table as possible. Uh, I, obviously not purposefully, but I, I, my sense is, is that most everybody sat towards one end and I was kind of by myself at another <laughs> end of the table, which maybe that's just my uh, my memory of it, of like, this is how I felt. So I sat you guys down and I was very nervous, but I I'd kind of, I knew what I was gonna say. And I remember being like, hey guys, I've got either a difficult conversation or I've got something bad to say, but I've been thinking about it a lot lately. And I think it's time for me to leave the business. And I remember you were stone-faced. You were, you were stone-faced when it happened. <laughs> Then you said, okay, well, first thing, we might as well just open this up. Is there anyone else who's thinking the same thing? And Willie said that he had been thinking a similar thing. And I don't think Tucker said at the time that he was thinking it as well, but it came out like a couple days later. I think you, myself, and, and John Urich had a meeting about, okay, well, these guys are leaving. What is the future hold for ThoughtBot? And at that point is when I said, I think I got to go too. And it didn't seem like a good idea for me to participate in the future if I was sort of on the fence. So you didn't have a job no. or you didn't do any interviews or no. anything like that? I didn't even I didn't even look for anything because not that it would have been dishonest, but it felt dishonest to do something like that. And I think, I mean, we had our friendship. I didn't have the sense of like, I'm fleeing a sinking ship. I had the sense of this isn't the right place for me. And so I better step away because that's going to be the best for me and for the business itself. At the time, I didn't understand why. <laughs> like, I, I both understood, yes. and under, but I wasn't upset at you. I distinctly remember that. Yeah, like, I, didn't I get was that. not upset. I didn't get that vibe. I didn't get any mm -hmm. sort of impression that you were maybe like disappointed or, mm -hmm. like you said, not quite understanding. Mm -hmm. But um, still good to hear. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's the best I can remember. I probably tried to forget it because I'm sure it was a hard day, you know what I mean, for everybody. But um, that's about my best recollection. Consulting is kind of a weird business to be in. I mean, none of us had a whole lot of work experience anyway, but this was wholly different because we were not only on our own, but we were actually, like, we didn't have any people to make decisions for us. What were you thinking when you decided to stay? and stick it out. This is cool. Yeah. I mean, it, it basically was as simple as that. Like, I enjoy doing this. I know that getting a job somewhere else is not going to necessarily be any better, or it, it's certainly not going to be 
more flexible than working for yourselves. And it was interesting to work on. And I specifically remember saying when that happened that I'm, I'm staying until the money's gone. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because in my mind, it was a weird sequence of events because they were leaving in part because we weren't making a lot of money, but it never occurred to me as they were leaving that that was immediately going to solve that problem. It wasn't until that they were gone when I think you and I talked and was like, well, we can increase our salary now because the money that we were splitting five ways, we now only have to split two ways. But going into it, when they said we're leaving or whatever, it was never my initial thought of like, ka-ching, like we've <laughs> solved this problem now. It wasn't until after the fact. I mean, I don't think my, my initial thought for any of this ever was ever ka-ching, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Probably at that time in my life, leaving ThoughtBot was among the biggest decisions I had ever made. Yeah, and I think on top of all the other things of like, these are my friends, and but knowing that it just, it wasn't right for me. I was sad because we had this cool, unique thing. I treasured it and like, I didn't want to toss that aside, but it was also a relief to have that steady income, be able to pay down debt. And um, I felt a little bit less less pressure. It was mm -hmm. like less pressure overall, you know, mm -hmm. not, not just from like ThoughtBot, but like life-wise, mm -hmm. you know. <laughs> it was a tough decision. We, it was, for me, just about money, really. I was just broke. And we were a couple years out of school. ABA had hurt me financially. We were making money at ThoughtBot, but it was bare bones. And I was just kind of sick of, of, of struggling and then realizing that I could make you know a decent salary out there for in a large part because of the experience that I got at ThoughtBot, you know, having the ability to work on um, products like that and at such a deep level at such a early part of my career, you know, gave me experience that was valuable. So, you know, just looking at debts and rent and things like that and, and thinking like I didn't, I didn't have it in me to, to slog it out at that moment. I remember we talked about what that would mean to sort of transition anything that I was working on, how we would split up the business ownership aspects of that. And I think what we basically decided was we would sign over 100% of any of our ownership over ThoughtBot in return for release of liability for any projects that were currently going on. Because that, I, And I think that was kind of a quirk of how we had set up the business since we were a general partnership. We were all equally liable for anything that was related to ThoughtBot. The fact that you guys all left and John and I decided to stay was the instigator of where like we changed from what ThoughtBot was, which was essentially doing whatever anyone would pay us to do with computers, <laughs> to this idea of like, well, these guys just demonstrated that they could leave and we could just get normal jobs and like we could just walk away from this. <laughs> and the act of consciously deciding to stay was when we started saying like, what do we want to do? What are we going to do? Like, And we had done Rails. It felt really good. It was really early on. And so it was in that mindset of like, let's be intentional about what we're doing. This isn't worth doing if we're not doing things we enjoy that we said like Rails is something, we really like it as developers, let's do it. And then it turned out that we were the first consulting company in the world to switch to Ruby on Rails. And we had got an opportunity because of that to do a lot of open source and that kind of thing. And that's how 
we built the reputation there. And it was at this time that we began working with our next partner. I'm Matt Jankowski. Matt Jankowski. And at that point, it was just you and John. Mm-hmm. Like, so like the timing was like, you guys are at a good reset point to start building web apps and software, you know, doing custom software development more so than the help desk stuff that had been part of previous ThoughtBot. And I had more work than I could have done by myself. So I think that's kind of where we, we crossed that next mm-hmm. threshold of like, oh, now we're actually like working together on a project. Of course, together on a project meant Matt is in New York City working with the clients and you guys are in Cambridge and you know we never see each other, but we're, we're working together on a project. What was your perception of John and I and ThoughtBot at the time? I think because you guys were doing like round two of this thing, I knew that you had some like patience in wanting <laughs> to make it work. And I, I also think that like from seeing you actually work, but also just like talking to you about what you wanted to do, I knew that you wanted to grow a team and had kind of the right mix of like what the culture of that team might look like and what the sort of like commit, whether it's like to TDD specifically or, Mm -hmm. you know, just sort of like wanted to have a culture of quality around the thing and had like some pride in whatever it was we were building. From my perspective, it very much, at least in retrospect, was I've got nothing to lose now and this isn't worth doing if we're not really going to make something happen. And and like at the time, probably a lot of that wasn't anything any of us even said out loud. It was just sort of like reading between the lines of like, okay, if I can keep finding projects that aren't just going to need like one or two people, but that might mm-hmm. need like eight, nine, 10 people or 100 people, as it turns out, these guys will be good to help find that team. Mm-hmm. But again, like, I don't think it went much further than that, right? It was just like, okay, that's good enough for the next six months, 12 months, whatever. You know, that wasn't mm-hmm. a like decade-long plan. Mm-hmm. I think you approached us, right? In terms of taking things to the next step and saying like, I'm interested in joining ThoughtBot and I'm interested in specifically putting something in place where I can become an owner. I think it was me. And I think, honestly, it was probably converting like, here's the revenue we have from this mm-hmm. one client who was my former employer that I brought with me, essentially, let's just like flip that into being my salary. Maybe mm-hmm. we like round it up a little or something. And here's what we're going to do to let me earn equity over time. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think it was probably me that started that discussion. And then, I don't know, you guys presumably talked about it. Maybe you flipped a coin. Yeah, we did talk about it. And thinking back, it seemed like a big decision. I remember the economics were such that like, while it was a big decision, I know that part of the argument that I made on your behalf was it's pretty low risk. Like if you don't actually do it, we're we're not any worse off. Right. So I do remember you guys had been advised to be a lot more careful with equity. So so mm-hmm. I do remember that the like ownership part of it was a big issue on your side of like okay. we just went through this whole thing. Right. We had to restructure the company. Why would we possibly consider giving away part of it again? Like right. almost almost immediately after yeah. sort of resetting. But you're right that that's from a purely like economical standpoint. Had I just done nothing, then unless we lost that client, it would have just been a break even. Yeah. Obviously we got clients, but what do you think we attributed to that, being able to do that so quickly? 
besides your good, your, <laughs> just being good. At Everything it. I was bringing. Yeah. Well, I do think that there was a timing and luck element of like, we were not right at the beginning of the kind of big part of the Rails growth curve, but we were kind of like leaning right into it. So our ability to hire a team to do that work and find clients that wanted that work were like not totally my doing, mm-hmm. right? We, so we sort of just stepped into it. And like a lot of that revenue came from one big client, right? right. So I do think though that that part of it was not even so much like sales success on my part, but just like the combination of motivations that came from like, okay, as a salesperson, I want this commission. As a shareholder, but someone who only earns shares via getting this revenue to come in, I want to make sure I'm earning revenue. But then also as someone with like manager hat on, I guess we're like starting to hire people. So our expenses are going up we've accidentally backed ourselves into the situation where like this one big client's ability to pay us, that's going to make or break our ability to make our own payroll one month. I remember a time where like they were behind on like one invoice, Mm -hmm. but it was like, you know, yeah, but at the time, a really big one, right? I mean, especially if Mm -hmm. you consider the year before we had had 250K of revenue or something, it was a like 70 or 80K invoice Mm -hmm. that they were a little behind it. They were just like slow to pay, which like, I kind of laugh at now, but at the time it was like, oh, like if you guys don't do that, like there's only so much cash here. Like, so I think that those motivations coming from all those different sides were part of what got some of the projects in the first place. And then just, I think having my own self-identity, frankly, tied up a lot in like the success of those projects and ThoughtBot mm-hmm. early on, it was just very motivating to like make sure it all went well and that we were proud of everything we were doing. I also think like, I'm, I'm still amazed now when we get people who are in college or right out of college and their belief about how fast things can be done because mm-hmm. they don't know any better. Mm-hmm. I think I was still in those shoes of mm-hmm. like, I'm like disappointed in myself if everything isn't perfect, Mm -hmm. right? And and doesn't go like super quickly. So like some of that is really good and it's disappointing that people lose it (laughs) over time. But other parts of it are like you learn there are real world trade-offs that you don't understand yet. Mm -hmm. So I I think there was a bit of all that. With the addition of Matt, that's basically just when things started to get rolling. I don't know if we decided if, if we were getting serious before that or if Matt was just like that, that catalyst point you use the word like get serious about this. And I think that that was the second time after the original founders left, Tucker, Calvin, and Willie. At that point, John and I had said, we got to get serious about this. (laughs) Here's what we believe. This isn't worth doing if we are not working the way that we want, doing the kinds of things we want to do. That's when we did test-driven development, that kind of thing, and Rails. And that was the second point, I think. And for me, it was sort of like, we had really been sort of just going along. There wasn't this strong forward momentum. And then when you decided to move, I feel like that was us getting re-serious about things. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good way to look at it. And it's, it's almost like some parts of that were very explicit, some were sort of implicit or maybe even like accidental. But like you could look at like ThoughtBot 1 was these like, five people doing these tech support projects and small software. Then Mm -hmm. we kind of reset that and it was like, okay, everyone's really excited about Rails as a technology. 
software quality and like growing this kind of development business. Mm -hmm. And then there was sort of a reset to like, oh, but we could also be like world-class level consultants and have design in-house and keep growing. You know, that makes it look like the lines were sharper than they mm -hmm. probably were. But I think from a focus and momentum perspective, that's that's probably true. There was a bit of a of a reset in the 2011 to 12 zone. Right. I think it seemed like a long time, but when you actually look at it on the calendar, yeah, it wasn't very long yeah. at all. So hindsight being 2020, how do you feel it all worked out? It really, beyond just successful technology choices and becoming more successful as a business, it also changed culturally who we were because we realized being everything to everybody and saying yes to everything is not the way that we're going to be successful. And this isn't worth doing if we're not working and living the way that we want to live. And so that was when we started trying to limit the number of hours we were working. And specifically when we hired people, enforcing a 40-hour work week for them. And those kinds of things really came to fruition then and sort of ThoughtBot became what ThoughtBot is. One of the really cool things about the post ThoughtBot you know, time for those of us who, who moved on was that I went on interviews and got offered jobs that were it, strongly because they, they saw, oh, you started your own business and you, you worked on these kind of these different technologies. You know, you would learn Zool and that, you know, was not anything that anyone used. And I think that made me very attractive as a as a candidate. I wouldn't change anything in the in the path. You know, it's if you change anything, you don't know where you end up, you know what I mean? So it's, it's pretty hard to say that you would change any decision along the way. Yeah, just like watching you guys grow has been great because there's the, there was always the part of me that was like, not that it would be my fault, but I would certainly have feelings about it if I left and then the company fell apart, you know? So it was nice to see you guys really succeed. I mean, not even just succeed, but to become what you've been within the Ruby community and, and the software development community at large. Do you have any regrets? Yeah. Yeah. I I, uh, I definitely like when I look at the website, I'm just like, here's this like big, awesome thing that, you know, I sort of was a part of, but kind of walked away from an opportunity. But I also walked towards like other really cool opportunities. Mm -hmm. So so like I said, it was like when I left, it was simultaneously, I was relieved, you know, because I, I wanted to leave. It felt like it was the right thing for me to do. But I was also like, I left this really unique opportunity that like not a ton of people get. I mean, obviously every company has to start somehow, but like, it's not the type of thing that I would have like sought to like go do on my own. And so it was kind of like a gift to me that it was just like there. And, and I, for lack of a better word, I kind of walked into it, but uh, I just wanted to go check out sort of the the more normal path because it, it just felt like it was I was being like kind of pushed in that direction mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah I think this would have been a less normal path and that is also kind of like oh well that's kind of cool too you know, I mean? you know in, in a moment of humor with Tucker Tucker would be like oh you see what the, you know how ThoughtBot's doing and I'll be like well you know Tucker I mean if we hadn't left we'd have never been able to <laughs> like, well, it, but it's like I think that that well like, in a bizarre joke, way I think that's you know that's yeah. true I know my view is is totally positive. Thank you all for checking out this very special episode of Giant Robot Smashing into Other Giant Robots. I remember we did like postcards with giant uh, robot smashing 
cities, I think. Yeah. Which, in retrospect, is that really the image you want to be projecting for your company, city destroyers? No, it, and it really didn't make a lot of sense. We had the vision <laughs> of, of like comic book cover postcard, but we're destroying a city, and then it's like the tagline "Organic Brains Digital Solutions." Like it just it didn't really make sense at all. <laughs> Organic Brains Digital Solutions. I forgot about that one. How long did that last? Did you? Get, that lasted did a that long time. Really? Yeah, too long. What's the new tagline? Is there one? No, we don't have it. We're taglineless. You don't need it. Yeah, no, we don't need it. Name speaks for itself. Yeah, says it all. Thank you to all of our guests for donating their time and sharing their stories. And to Eric Malinsky for providing editorial guidance on this episode. Show notes can be found at giantrobots.fm slash 262. This episode is brought to you by ThoughtBot and produced and edited by Tom Obarski. Thanks for listening. This podcast was brought to you by ThoughtBot. We are experienced designers and developers who turn your idea into the right product. With local studios in Boston, San Francisco, New York, London, Austin, Raleigh, and Washington, D.C., let's build something great together.